Welcome back to the Indie Vets Happy Hour. I'm your host, Dr. Andrew Heller. I'm here with my co-host, as usual, in her living room, <laughs> Dr. Marissa Brunetti. VMD. Thanks for having me. Thanks for, thanks for <laughs> you're welcome. You're welcome. Thanks for joining me here in this living room. Well, we're back at it. What are we drinking today, Marissa? This I tried to pick something like for the holidays. You did, and you actually got an amazing beer, and I'm excited because it's from Columbus, Ohio. Woo! Yeah, and I know we normally try to do local PA brews, yeah. but this is really special to us because we have our first indie vet in Columbus, Ohio, and yeah. she starts in January. And we are open for business in Ohio. Yes, we are. So, Dr. Ashley, this is for you. Um, you might know dog. it. Yeah, brew dog. I'm drinking the Hoppy Christmas, and what are you having? Santa Paws. Santa Paws, so cute. I know. Um, and it's definitely- it's pretty good. It's a good theme for this uh, podcast. So, all right, well, we are finishing up a series. We're finishing up the vaccine series. Hopefully you guys have tuned in for all the other ones. If you haven't yet, definitely go back and listen to them. There's some really good information there. Today, we're gonna finalize and summarize everything with some myths and facts in our vaccine grab bag, so to speak. <laughs> um, we're gonna talk about some odds and ends when it comes to the vaccines. Hopefully you'll learn something. So this is for veterinarians out there. This is for technicians, of course. Practice managers, I think, should really listen to this one. Yeah. And practice managers, I think if you are listening to this, are ways to improve your record keeping, certain protocols at the practice, I think we can talk about that as we get down. Well, first, I want to give a little update. As you can recall, I can remember how many pods ago, we talked about a new product on the market called Clever, which is made by Vetikinol, which is a new FDA-approved emetic in dogs. And I, unfortunately, <laughs> had the opportunity to use it last week on my own dog, who shall not be named, but is sitting right next to me. And she just turned four, so she should know better. But uh, she ate a part of a quilt, and I put two drops of Clever in her right eye. And within 12 minutes, I timed it. She had thrown up four times. Wow. Yeah, and the first two times were all food, and I was like, oh, no, where's the quilt? And then I waited, and she puked up all of the quilt. It was great. And if you want her to stop vomiting, what product are you supposed to use? Metoclopramide, which right. is tough, because I only have metoclopramide tablets in the house, and right. she puked all over my kitchen. Yeah. And so I did make a slurry of the metoclopramide and really? shove it down her throat. Yes. Did it work? <sighs> yes. I, she stopped puking. I, she did stop puking, but she was uncomfortable for a couple hours, so I did give her Zofran, and then I waited, and I gave her some Sucralfate. Did you flush her eyes out with any saline afterwards just to kind of get the rest of it out, or no? I didn't, nope, because unlike those normal APO tablets, yeah. like, there's not extra in there, right? right. It like, goes right in your system. Right. So I just want everyone to know that Clever is very clever. It works. And it works. If you're a practice manager or someone else in charge of a vet clinic, I feel like if you guys don't have APO, you should keep this on the shelf. It sounds like it's very easy to use. So easy to use. Right. So anyway. We have a whole podcast on it. So if you guys search back through uh, through the podcast list, you'll find one on Clever. It might not be called Clever. I think it's called like getting dogs to puke or something like that. So <laughs> Just listen to all the podcasts having to do with vomit. Yeah, it was one of our earlier ones. All right, so let's get to it. Let's talk about some of the, the odds and ends that we have not really discussed. I, I threw on the list titers. So let's definitely talk about titers, and then maybe we can talk about some common vaccine mistakes, vaccine exemptions, and, uh, and then we'll get into some record-keeping stuff. 
You put titers on here, and I think this is interesting because depending on where you live or what type of practice you work at, titers may be used more frequently yeah. than not. And so when would you do a titer? You want to do titers on animals that you don't want to vaccinate for certain reasons. If your pet has had vaccine reactions in the past, and that also limits our ability to give the vaccines, autoimmune diseases, and of course, sometimes people will adopt a pet and they, they don't know if they've been vaccinated in the past. Typically, people will just vaccinate again. But if you really want to know and you don't want to over-vaccinate, you can, you can check the titers there. But I think what's interesting about titers, and you can speak to this a little bit, is what titers are available to be tested? So the distemper parvo titer. Now, when they titer for that, are they titering for Each. just the two? Yep, yep. Okay. There's only a distemper titer, and then there's a parvovirus titer in dogs and parvo in cats. But that's why titers to me are like a little bit basic because you can't titer for Lyme, right. don't titer for lepto. And so really what you're talking about when you say vaccine titers is distemper right. and parvo. Well, I've been to a practice where they actually, they practice like more holistic medicine. And so they do titers every year yeah. for their clients. Yeah, and so why don't you explain for maybe those people that aren't vets listening broadly, what is actually a titer? So. Most people nowadays have heard of antibodies. Antibodies are what our body produces so that we can fight off a particular disease. And so a vaccine will prime our body to the point where we can make antibodies against whatever we're being vaccinated for. Or, you know, if you have natural infection, you also get antibodies. And so you can actually test the levels of those antibodies. And what you're, what you're looking for is um, immunoglobulin levels, IgG. Which are antibodies. Which are antibodies. And you have to have a certain level of antibodies in order to have the immunities that we want you to have. So we're checking for not only if they're present, but what the, what the quantity of those. Right. So are they accurate? Yeah, they are accurate, but they could be actually waning off. And you don't know if they're good at that moment in time. We don't know if a month later if they're going to be good still. Right. We don't know if in a week they're going to be good still. So the only way you can really tell, I'd say, is you have to have at least two data points, right? Like do a titer twice, and even then you could still be off. The only real test is to actually have a real challenge from a pathogen, which we're not going to do. Which we're not going to do. But it's just easier to vaccinate. Yeah, and I think the cost of a titer is obviously much higher than getting vaccinated. Yeah. And it does require a blood draw on your pets and and more than normal because they do need serum which, you know, when you get whole blood, you have to spin the serum off. So you actually need more whole blood than you think you do. And your major lab companies are going to run these titers like Antec and Idex. Okay. And what are the costs? I mean, I, I think, you know, a cost for a vaccine is about 20 to 30 bucks. And the cost of getting a titer every year is anywhere from 80 to 150 bucks, depending on where you are. Yeah. So yeah, and there are companies, you know, like the University of Kansas will do a rabies titer. We personally as humans get rabies titers because we are vaccinated. And that's to check to see if we still have high levels of antibodies. But for animals, yes, you can titer rabies, but it doesn't count as a rabies vaccine. So if you're traveling or you're moving to a different country or to Hawaii, yeah, uh, <laughs> which doesn't have rabies, your animals will need to be titered for rabies, but they'll still need to be vaccinated. Mm-hmm. What are your uh, what are your titers looking like these days? 
I just had mine done and I am 0.1 over. Oh. So I'm still good. So when was the last time you actually got a vaccine? 2006. Oh, wow. So 15 years. Yeah, right before vet school. Wow. I've never been boosted. Yeah, Have I you been boosted? Mine, I think I got mine in like 2011. And I've never been boosted, and I've also never checked. <laughs> <laughs> For everyone listening who doesn't know me and Andrew, this is so perfect. <laughs> I've never and checked. literally just the epitome of our relationship. <laughs> Can I explain why? Because I think that they still have to give you the PEP, whether you're vaccinated or not. True, no, but it's different. It's a different protocol whether you're vaccinated I think it's like not. two different shots. It's like two extra shots if you have... If you have the antibodies. For anyone out there listening, it is important as a veterinarian <laughs> to get your titer checked every two to three years. You know, I'm going to do it this year at the VMX. You should. Indie vets listening, get your titer get checked. Get your titers. Yes. All right. So should you do titers? Oof, that's a loaded question. I don't like I guess for those should. reasons that I mentioned, right? Like if yeah. you should if, uh, if your pet has vaccine reactions. You should if your pet has an autoimmune disease and you don't want to give them more vaccines than they need. The whole new adoption thing, I think I'd probably just... Revaccinate. Revaccinate. I don't think it hurts. Obviously traveling, you can do the titer, like you said, but you still probably need to vaccinate. Yeah. All right, so let's get to the fun part. <laughs> Common vaccine mistakes. So- Ooh, hold on, let me pull up my soapbox. Yes. Marissa, <laughs> Marissa, how many practices have you been to in the last three years? Well, at least 30. More than that, I'm sure. You think? Sure. Yeah. 40, 50, I should probably do that. Yeah, you should look. Yeah, I should, but no, I've- I've been in a lot of practices. I've practiced in a lot of practices. <laughs> so you've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly here. I have, and so- We also do profiles on every practice, so you've seen at least what their yeah. protocols are, probably for hundreds of practices, I'm yes. assuming. At this yeah, point. and like we talked about on our early one of our earlier vaccine podcasts, AHA is an AFP. They are trying to standardize vaccine protocols. So it's one of the few things that's standardized in our profession, and so to me, the biggest mistake is not following those standardized protocols and or the manufacturer's guidelines. The manufacturers have done tons of research on how long these vaccines last. And if they're recommending it every year, every 12 to 15 months, that's what it should be done. And distemper parvo, when adequately vaccinated, can last up to three years and likely more. But for now, it's still labeled for three years. Yeah. So biggest mistake is not following those standards yeah. and and not educating your staff and your clients as to why. Yeah. In doing that, another huge mistake which I see unfortunately still too often is only separating vaccines by one week or really less than 14 days, right? Yeah. And I mention this probably in every vaccine podcast we do, but the body the mammalian body needs at least 14 days between vaccines so it can focus on making antibodies to the one and then- Unless you're the getting multiple one. in one day. True, yeah. Which is okay. Yes, multiple in one day is fine because your system is primed at that one time yeah. to all of them. But if you wait only a week, then your your system is already focused on those other ones. And I, unfortunately, I see this a lot with new puppies. Yeah. And so- Especially like small, yeah, small animals. Small animals where- the breeders are giving just parvovirus vaccines one day and then waiting seven days and giving just distemper vaccines because they make the individual ones. And so they'll give them every week. And then by the time they get to me at eight or nine weeks, they've had like four or five vaccines. And I have to have the conversation, which is like, I'm not sure if any of these vaccines have done anything. Yeah. And so- Can it do harm? It's a great question. I mean, I'm, I'm sure if you're reacting to a vaccine, the more vaccines you give, 
Yeah. The more, you know. I guess the biggest harm is that you're not <laughs> giving you're not, them protection. You're not giving them the protection they need. Exactly. Especially in, in these little puppies that we too often see Parvo coming in with, you know, yep. coming in with Parvo. Yep. All right. So the one thing that I notice, and this has always bothered me, is um, seeing when practices give their distempers every two years, they're labeled for every one year, right? Or three years. Or depending. three. Never two. So why would somebody give it every two years? The biggest mistake is not following <laughs> standards. Right. And so I have heard that sending a reminder for two years makes people get in on time. Right. You know, before the, three. Before three. But to me, it's just produced a lot of confusion because if they do come in on time for that two year, right. they're like, oh, wait, why did I come early? For, right. Why do I need this early? Right. And most of our clients are, I think, compliant with vaccines. Yeah. Most. I don't see people coming in very often that are late. And, and speaking of like going by the vaccine manufacturer's recommendations, something I encourage all hospitals and vets to do is to know what types of vaccines that your clinic is carrying and what their recommendations are for re-boostering and boostering in the beginning. Because certain companies like their Lepto and Lyme vaccines are good for 15 months and anything past that, you have to start the series over again. And that varies based on what type of vaccine, it varies based on company. And yeah. so I really recommend that everyone in the hospital get on board with knowing when it has to be reboosted and practice and role play talking about why that's important with your clients. Because I think people hate having that conversation, but really if we're educating them as to why, the hope is the following year, they're yeah. gonna come in. That's a good point. Another common vaccine mistake is giving all vaccines in one location on an animal's body. And this used to be more common. I don't see it a lot anymore, but we've talked about this in previous vaccine episodes, why it's important in cats especially to not give a yes. bunch of injections in one spot. And also it's not good for record keeping. What if they do have a reaction and you don't know to which vaccine it's to. Right. So make sure that there's a protocol in your hospital and that you're giving your vaccines in specific locations on an animal. And if you have to give them in a different location for some reason, make sure you record it. Right, and and I sometimes the technicians will do the vaccines for me and I'll just make sure they tell me exactly where they gave them so yeah. that I can put them in the record because you always want to put that in there. Yeah, that's that's another big mistake is not recording where you gave right. the vaccine and also not recording how long the vaccine is good for, right? Yeah. You are the ultimate decision maker on that as a veterinarian and so I'll always write like distemper. Good for three years. Good for three years. Right. Or good for That's a good year. point too. Yeah, I mean, lots of things get missed when you're putting charges in. You yeah. can pick the wrong one. Right. And ultimately, your record is what they're going to follow, not the invoice. Good point. Another mistake I see a lot of, we tend to think that vaccines are just so common and that's what most people come in for. And, you know, it's like a, a drive-by vaccine clinic. Right. But something I've gotten in the habit of a lot is still asking clients if their animals have had reactions or negative things happen to them after they've been vaccinated. Because one, a lot of people don't report reactions. And so prompting them at the beginning may make them think, oh, wait, yeah, she did act really weird after that vaccine. Yeah. Say they did report it, but you didn't put it in the record, you won't know. And so I always like to start the conversation before I vaccinate them, like, hey, how did your pet do after the last vaccines? Have you noticed any adverse reactions? Because then I'm double checking and I'll put that in my record too. You know, owner says no vaccine reactions. We talked about what could happen. That's very thorough of you. <laughs> I'm very thorough. I like that. 
<laughs> a lot of times people, you know, if they do have a vaccine reaction and you didn't put in there, A, where you gave the vaccine, B, whether or not they had vaccine reactions in the past, you could be brought up on uh, malpractice lawsuits. So it's yeah. really important to just put everything in the record. And speaking of reporting, yeah. it's also really important to let the manufacturer know if any of your patients have vaccine reactions. And this does not necessarily have to come from a veterinarian. There could be a member of your staff that you assign to this to report drug or vaccine reactions. Very simple on the websites of all of your vaccine manufacturers, how to report a reaction. And, and this isn't just good for your clients in case the animal needs treatment for the reaction, but it's it's great for the company because they're keeping these stats. And if no one reports it, then how do we know also, that they're, they're having these reactions? If there are adverse reactions, the, the vaccine company should pick up the bill, right? Yep. So, but that's only if everything is documented appropriately. You gotta document. All right, so the last one that you have on here, which I always thought would be, you know, just common sense, but <laughs> <laughs> vaccinating animals against a pathogen for no reason. I guess I can think of some, you know, giving cats the FELV vaccine when they're indoor, there are no other cats, and giving them that every single year. We talked about that in the cat mm -hmm. and the feline vaccine protocols. But what other ones are you are you thinking of? Not needing the coronavirus vaccine. Right. But you're absolutely right with the lifestyle vaccines, especially for cats like that. It's important to know what your patients are doing and where they're going. Yeah. And they may never see another dog, so they may not need the the influenza vaccine. Yeah. So really, at least training your technical staff to have those conversations with the owners about what the pets are doing so you can make an informed decision. It's not just give everything every year. Yeah, you know, a lot of times the technicians will come to me and say, oh, they're here for their vaccines and these are the five that they're getting today. And exactly. I say, hmm, do they really need, like this is a 10-year-old dog, you know, does it really need a board of televaccine right now? Let me go talk to them and see, are they gonna yep. be in a boarding facility or a kennel or yep. being groomed? If not, maybe we don't have to do that this year. You know? Yeah, yeah, and document why. Document, document. <laughs> so we'll go to the next category here, vaccine exemptions. And we talked about this briefly, but I just want to reiterate to everyone, if your state, one, each state is different. So know your state law about rabies vaccines, right? How young they have to be. And know if your state has a rabies exemption. And for most states, and for ours, Pennsylvania especially, you can exempt an animal for medical reasons. Yeah. But like I said, please remember that for PA, you actually have to like mail your exemption letter to the mm. state. Mm. Like you can't just write it in your record that it's exempt. The state doesn't care. And you have to do it every year. You have to re-up this letter. Mm. And you can't just keep writing it in your record and saying like medically exempt right. because that's not correct. And also if God forbid your pet gets bitten by a rabid animal or your pet bites someone, they will be treated as an unvaccinated animal, even yeah. if they have an exemption. Yeah. Which means quarantine, potentially euthanasia. Yeah, longer quarantines, definitely. That's a good segue into vaccine certificates. So this is not something that we've talked about in any of the previous podcasts, but what do you wanna talk about in terms of certificates? Especially, so rabies certificates are a, a legal certificate they get a tag as well. And I want to reiterate to everyone out there, even if you have an indoor cat that doesn't wear a collar, doesn't wear its rabies tag, keep the tag and the certificate. It's the only way that you can prove to your local government that your animal has been vaccinated mm -hmm. by that certificate and that tag. And you have to make sure you sign your rabies certificates if you're the doctor. Yeah. And I, I think this is very close to home here for us because as indie vets, 
we're traveling all over the place and our names like may not be printed yeah. on the certificates. I and signed so many yesterday. Exactly. So that's great. You actually have to remember, you know, it has to be printed. Then you have to physically sign it and have your license number on there for it to be legal. Yeah. So especially if you're a doctor who's not working at the same practice every day and doesn't have your signature saved in there, you have to physically sign them. Thank you. You're welcome. Those are great points, Marissa. Well, that almost concludes our vaccine series. We have one more little one coming up next, and we're going to talk a little bit about the different manufacturing companies, and we'll go through some of the different vaccines that are available. And um, so this will be more for veterinarians, I would say. Um, So if you're not a vet, you probably shouldn't. Well, you can listen if you're interested, but if you're a vet, you should listen. We're going to be doing another series coming up which we're all very excited about. And it's going to be, um, we may have mentioned it last time, we're going to be doing endocrine diseases and quick pearls on diagnostics and treatments. So we should have some really interesting guests on to talk about that. And we've got so many new series coming up after that. So stay tuned, check back and continue listening. So thank you. Thank you, Andrew. It's great to see you. Thanks for the beer. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.